All right, y'all. So I, I do want you to know, I really am thankful to see your faces, hear your voices, and to be able to touch base with everyone um, over the course of the week. You know, when we started Cross Life Fort Smith, and this, is, this has been a journey and it's been going on for a while, but when we started, it's been almost two years. And, um, and we started as a really, really small group in the living room, and um, the Lord has grown our numbers. But whenever we started, we wanted to start with just kind of a blank slate, one that where we looked at Acts 2.42, which says this, Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it says that when they followed those things in Acts 2, um, 42 through 47, that God added to their numbers. And so we want to know what would it look like, what would it be like if we did kind of step back from all the formulas, all the structures, all the patterns. What if we just met together and we clung to those four things? And it makes church look vastly different. And it changes how we evaluate um, what, what, you know, how we meet and when we meet. What we want to do is kind of step back and not to say everybody else is wrong. That was never our heart. But what would it look like if we took Acts 2.42 and we just met together and we were devoted to the Word, to one another, to God's teaching, and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And it's been a really good journey. Um, it's a, a journey that has, is challenging to a pastor sometimes, I'll just be honest, but it's also a journey that's um, encouraging to a pastor. And so that is the journey of Cross Life. And we have seen how God has taken us from a really small group of a few families and how he has grown that influence. And so y'all continue to pray with me that God shows us favor, that he shows us encouragement, and then he gives us that confidence that as we cling to these four things, then we can rest solely in him building his church. And so I'm just saying I'm thankful for you that while we're trying to navigate all this COVID-19 and this pandemic, I'm also encouraged at the same time that we can sit down and we can meet together and we have the same heart. And I want you to, as you drive by churches, I want you to be praying for those churches. As you know, pastors, pray for those pastors. We're all proclaiming the gospel, I hope, and that's what we want to cling to. So anyways, I'm saying that to say thank you so much for journeying with us and being a part of this, and I'm excited at what God has been doing. Now we're going to push into John 14, John 14, 5 through 7. So I'm reading in the ESV. We're going to read this. We're going to pray that God uh, guides us through it, and then we're going to break apart um, these texts to really dive into them. John 14, 5 through 7 says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, I pray that uh, as we look at this text, Lord, it's a, a small text, but Lord, all of your word is living and true. Lord, I pray that you stop my words whenever they become my words and that you help me to focus on the truth of these verses, the impact of these verses. And God, I trust you that as we preach the word, we know that it does not come back void. Lord, I do want to cling to the word. I want to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Lord, I want us to look at the word and realize that this is what we need on a daily basis. This is what we need on a weekly basis. We don't need um, some high theological thoughts and concepts where we're trying to wrap our minds around something that is just way too big of a concept for us. What we do need, Lord, is your word. 
which informs us, which shapes our theology. We need something that is true and practical, and that is exactly what you've given us in Scripture. The thing is, is we need your Spirit so that we can understand and apply it. So Lord, as we open your Word, help us to see your truth, help us to understand your truth, and then as we leave our fellowship time together, Lord, help us to live your Word. But Lord, we are all theological by nature. We all have ideas of who God is and and what God is. But Lord, many times the world shapes our idea of God and not the Word. So Lord, that's, that's my prayer. Shape us today as you have always shaped your people by your Word. Lord, help me not to rely on eloquent speech or ideas, but Lord, just simple teaching and preaching of your Word and resting in that. Lord God, we love you. Amen. All right, y'all, we are going to dive into this. And um, before we get to the three points, which is Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. As we start to push into that, remember the context. Remember, context always matters. And that's something we talked about last time that we met. And so in the context here of, of John 14, the, the previous section that we looked at is Jesus telling them, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place, I am coming back for you and I am bringing you with me. And so it was a message of hope. And this statement of I am the way, the truth, and the life, it is an emphatic proclamation that Jesus is absolutely the only way. That is what it means. But it's in the context of giving the believers hope and comfort. So I want to look at it in that way. Um, today. So why is he giving them hope and comfort? Well, we know from John 13 that Jesus has just washed their feet. He just had the last supper with them. Judas has gone out to betray him. And then Jesus tells them that they need to love one another because he's about to leave. And Peter says, "Um, wherever you go, I'm going to follow. And Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me. And that caused some turmoil. And so now we're in this moment. And in John 14, 1, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. In other words, calm down, rest and wait. And then he talks about the mansion he's going to build for believers and about his return for the believers. And in verse 5, Thomas, this is doubting Thomas of the post-resurrection, by the way. But if you remember from, uh, where was it, John 11, John eleven sixteen, that same doubting Thomas was the bold Thomas. In John eleven sixteen, Thomas said to the other disciples, he's like, he's going to Bethlehem, but you know what? If he's going to die, then we're going with him. So that bold Thomas is now the concerned Thomas, and he's saying, Lord, you're, you say you're going, but, but where are you going? We, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And it's in all of that turmoil that must have been going on in them that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think that context matters. It mattered for them because Jesus was about to die. He was about to be gone. They didn't understand what was going to happen. Jesus was basically telling them, you're about to have dark days. And I'm looking at you and I'm saying that we're going to live days and we're probably living days that for some of us are pretty dark. And we're wondering, when does the moment end? And I'm going to say to you, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what you need and that's what I need. It's a message of comfort because it's a message that basically says to you and to me that everything that we're clinging to is everything that we need in this moment. It's not wrong. 
It's not wayward. It is the truth. It is the way. It is the life. We are his people. He is our God and he is bringing us home. So take hope. So that's kind of the overarching context of this this discourse that he's going through. I like how Matthew Henry puts it. Now, it's kind of a long quote, but listen um, to Matthew Henry's breakdown of these verses, and then we're going to jump into them. Matthew Henry says, Christ is the sinner's way to the Father and to heaven. In his person is God manifest in the flesh, and in his atoning sacrifice and as our advocate. Says he is the truth because he fulfills all the prophecies of a Savior. And believing in those things, sinners come by him who is the way. He is the life by whose life-giving spirit the dead in sin are quickened. Nor can any man draw near to God as the Father who is not quickened by him as the life and taught by him as the truth and come to him as the way. In other words, Matthew Henry says he's absolutely everything he says he is in how he did ministry, in his nature, and in his purpose. He is the way, and we know that way through the truth he has given us. And when we follow that truth through the way, we get eternal life. And so it's this encapsulation of Cling to me. Now, I also have to say to you, this is a proclamation of the exclusivity of Christianity. In other words, Christianity is absolutely an exclusive religion. You have to let that sink in. My prayer is, may we be bold enough to proclaim an exclusive gospel. All roads do not lead to God. All religions are not the same. And all truth is not subjective. In a world that demands tolerance, the gospel demands exclusivity. There is one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. If we don't hold to that as the gospel, then we are not holding to the gospel. That's probably as we really start thinking through it, and we think about our world, I think it's right to kind of feel a little bit of turn in your stomach because we have to realize that This is the gospel that changes the world, but it is a gospel that is opposed to the world. The whole world says that that there's a mountaintop and that there's God at the top and that there may and must be many paths that lead up to the top, just like I can go walk a trail and there will be many trails all around that mountain. Who am I to say that there's only way to God? What authority does Ricky have to say that? I have no authority whatsoever. Jesus of absolute authority says there is only one way to God the Father, that is through Jesus, you better come through me. So we have to be bold enough to proclaim that. And if anyone says, who are you to say that? I'm no one. You're no one. But Jesus is. And it's by his authority that we have to cling to it. So in a world that demands tolerance, the gospel demands exclusivity, exclusively Jesus. That is who we follow. All right, y'all, here we go. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And even though we read five through seven, we're really looking at verse five. And it's in the context of talking to believers, talking to followers of Christ. So let's look, how in the world could he say this? How in the world could Jesus say that he is the way to God, except that he has the only access to God the Father? And I know that I'm talking to believers and so what happens is we're talking to believers Just sometimes we're so familiar with the concept, we're like, yeah, absolutely, and we check it off. But he is the only access to believers. As, this, as the only son of, of the one Father in heaven that we have, 
He has an intimate relationship with the Father that is not like yours and mine. Now, granted, we have been named co-heirs with Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. But at the same time, our relationship with God has been marred by sin. And I know that we've been forgiven of that, but today you and I will struggle with sin and we will have to repent of our sin and we will have to seek out God again. And he will welcome us back in love and he will forgive us richly. And whenever he died for our sin on the cross, he died once and for all time. Absolutely. But Jesus is the way. He has a relationship unlike any relationship that you and I have at this point. It is not marred by sin. It is not broken by disobedience. And it is not weakened by faithlessness. More than that, he is God in the flesh. He is God in the flesh. He is God. He is glory. He is not man alone. And that is the guy. That is the one who is speaking in that moment. But the problem I think that you and I will have, even as believers, well, I'm going to say especially as believers, is that we know a truth so well that we forget the power and the impact of that truth. So I'm going to challenge you with this. Maybe our views of Jesus are way too small. When our view of Jesus is too small, he becomes very comfortable. And the demands that he makes on our lives are very easy for us because he becomes a comfortable Jesus. My fear is that in modern Christianity, Jesus could walk into church, our our concept, our idea of Jesus, he could walk into a church building and the church be completely unfazed by who he is because we've moved so far from the image of who Christ really is. We've made him very comfortable. We've made him so much like us that we forget that he is God in the flesh. Listen to what Hebrews 1.3 says. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus says, he is a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Hebrews 1.3 says that there's God and then there's God's glory. And Jesus is the radiance of that glory. And then by his very word, he upholds the universe. So that you and I right now, we are able to zoom and the wind is able to blow and the sun is in the shine. Everything holds together because Jesus upholds it with his word. And he's the one who said, I am the way. Like that's who our, if that Jesus walked into your living room right now, right? From my house to your house, because that's how we're having to meet right now. If he walked into your house, can you imagine seeing the radiance of the glory of God in your presence? That's our Jesus. Like, and how comfortable is that to us now? How much have we taken that that is very, uh, uh, very astounding and that we marveled at at the beginning of our salvation and we just have this spiritual amnesia and we begin to forget it? Listen to Col- Colossians 1, 15 through 23. It's talking about Jesus. It says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Y'all, this is no small Jesus. This is not just a historical Jesus that existed back some time ago and died on a historical cross and did a deed that we can read about in the Bible and say, yes, absolutely, that happened. This is a powerful Jesus that should move us even in these moments. 
And he's also the one that in Revelation 5, there's a glimpse where all heaven and all, and all earth and all the creatures on the earth, they're crying out, worthy are you. Y'all, that's our Jesus. And in Hebrews 1.12, it says that he alone sits at the right hand of God and there will be no end of his years. And then in Colossians, it says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And in Hebrews, it tells us again that his name is far above every other name. That is why you and I gathered this morning. That is the one who is speaking in this moment. And so put all that together, this glorious Jesus, this glorious one, he is the one who says to Thomas, you do know the way. I am the way and you know me. So Christians, I'm gonna say that as we journey through this life with everything that we cannot control or anticipate, you absolutely do know the way. And the way is Jesus Christ and there's a sureness there. There's a hope there. That's what he was trying to tell Thomas. Thomas said, how are we going to know the way? You're not with us. How are we going to know how to get to you? And Jesus said, but you do. I am the glorious one. I'm the one who's going to bring you to the Father. You know me. So there are words of comfort there. Y'all, it's not just a journey of the way, but it is a relationship. But there is a journey in that relationship and we're going to look at that in Matthew 7. So if you will, flip to Matthew, hold your spot there and go to Matthew 7. And while you're turning there, I want, to, I want to come back to this idea of him knowing the way. So Matthew 7. You and I both know that for a man or a person to boast of their own importance and superiority, we would tend to think in our world that that's arrogant and egocentric. I mean, if I sat there and I told you how important I was and how central to your life that I should be, you would think that I was arrogant or egocentric and self-centered. But when the one who is worthy proclaims his centrality to all things, we should marvel and worship and pursue him. I mean, if you got a glimpse of the radiance of the glory of God and you knew that you could be there in the radiance of the glory of God, would you not? in this moment, give everything you could to pursue it. And that's Jesus' invitation to the world. It's the invitation of the gospel. That though we are broken by sin, though we are enemies and far from God, though that is the reality of who we are, Christ died for the ungodly to bring us home. So we get to stand in the radiance of the glory of God. So how do, how do we walk this out? Matthew 7 is a warning for us says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I mean, that's something that we should have underlined, and if we read it too quickly, we miss the danger. And I think that as a church of believers all across the city and the nation and the world, we need to read that. And we need to read that we should enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many, but the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. So bring that back together with John. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want life. You want eternal life. It's a narrow gate and it's not an easy path. The wide gate is for the many. So let's just do some easy math real quick. Let's just say that we had 10 people because I'm looking at our screen and we got about 11, 11 accounts and I know those represent families, but 
But let's just take that, let's just say 10. How many is many of the 10? Five would be about half. Six would maybe be many. I, would, I could take, or, or, but, but let's flip it. Instead of trying to figure out the many, what would the few be? We tend to gravitate towards three for few. But even if it were four, the point is this, that of the vast amount of people, many are headed down the wrong path and few are heading down the narrow path. It's the same message of John 14, 5. Narrow is the gate. You want to know the width of the gate that the few get to find? I would say that it is probably the span of the cross in the whole wide world. It's a narrow way. The only way to God is through that cross upon which Jesus died, despising the shame, but he is seated at the right hand of the Father. That is the narrow gate. And he said that the, that the gate that is wide, that's what many are going to follow. And you and I, I'm not going to lie as believers, we're going to be tempted to look at that way and wonder, well, why do the evil prosper? Why do the wicked seem to get their way? Why does it seem like their life is going fine and yet I'm trying to follow God and it feels like life has lots of ups and downs and what do we do with that? Because there is a distorted gospel out there that says if you believe in God, you will endure no hardship, no pain, and no suffering. And if you do, it's because you have a lack of faith. That gospel is not a biblical gospel. A biblical gospel is one that says narrow is the gate, and it's a gospel that says that the way is hard. But it's also a gospel that says this, believers. The gospel also says that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, we will fear no evil, for he is with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. So you and I are going to have to walk a life that has mountaintops and valleys. As we go from highs to lows, we know and we can have confidence that even in these days, as we are journeying through this, that we never walk alone. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the way of Jesus Christ. Several verses from now in about two weeks, we're going to be talking about the, the promise and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. That's where you and I say right now. That's why our shepherd never leaves us alone. You and I will go through pretty narrow straits and we will fear no evil. But there are many around us who are on the wide path and, and we're on the narrow. And we know that this leads us to life. So then the burn that you and I should have is if we know that this leads to eternal life, if we truly believe that he is worthy of all praise from all creation, from every nation, tongue, and tribe, if we know that that is true and they are going the opposite way, then why in the world are we not telling them? Like that's a challenge to us that if we know the way to God, why are we not telling others? And so we look at this and I want you to, to come back to the hope that we have. You and I are traveling and trekking through life. And it's going to have ups and it's going to have downs. But our shepherd always walks with us. Right now we have prayers of thanksgiving, but one day you're going to have prayers that are filled with tears. And you're going to lie in your bed like the psalmist and you're going to let your tears wet your pillow and you're going to cry out to God and you're going to say, oh, so why are you so cast down? And you're going to say, God, why are you so far from me? How do I know you hear my prayers? And I'm saying to you, the psalmist who said those words is also the same psalmist who says, I have never seen the righteous forsaken. 
So I want you to take hope. The shepherd will guide you along the narrow way if you will walk with the shepherd. And he will lead you to the narrow gate. And that narrow gate is the cross and we walk through it to eternal life. There are other verses that if you want to look at the exclusive way to Jesus Christ, you're saying, hey, that's one verse. I bet I can find another verse that, that proves something different. Here's four other verses for you. There's John 14, 6. I'm going to read them quickly. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty exclusive claim right there. Acts 4.12 is another one. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So salvation again in Acts 4.12 is only through Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul writes, he says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus. So in other words, it's not your church, it's not or your church attendance, it's not the, the t-shirts you wear, it's not how many memory verses you've had and how many times you've read the Bible. The only foundation upon which we can lay our salvation is Jesus Christ. As you follow Jesus Christ, you will want to wear the t-shirts, you will want to be in church attendance, you will want to memorize verses. In Jude 4, so there's only one chapter of Jude, so we say Jude 4, so Jude chapter 1 verse 4. He writes, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, and listen to this, and they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So in other words, there are people who were creeping into the church, even in the early days, who were saying it's not just about Jesus. It can actually be this, and we, we see it all throughout the other epistles. But there are, there's four verses for you that say Jesus and Jesus alone and that's all we need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything for us. Okay, y'all. I just want to move on real quick. But I want to say there are not many ways to God. There's only one. There are not many religions that all reach God. There is only one. And Jesus is the way. That should give us comfort. That right now, though we struggle through life, if we're on that path, then we are on the right way. And that's what he was telling Thomas. What does it mean whenever he says Jesus is the truth? Jesus makes another radical claim in the midst of all this. He said, not only am I the way, you can have confidence in the way because everything that I've told you is true. I'm truth. Let all the world be liars and I am truth. And so you and I, we have confidence. We should have confidence that if the world says this and Jesus says this, this is what we cling to. We know this is right. But these two truths are going to combat and they're doing it progressively more as we move through the years because the further we move through the years, the closer we return or the closer we, we arrive at Jesus' return for his people. And the world will continue to move in this path. But of all that we know to be true in this world, like all the truth that is still truth that we know is truth in this world, the bigger truth is that all of that is found in the truth of who Jesus is. He is the foundation of truth. And anything that does not align with what he says is a lie. And I know that sounds unloving, but it's actually very loving. That if I know the way to God is through Jesus Christ and everything that he says is true, if I allow you to believe a lie, then that's actually really unloving. To allow others to be deceived into a lie is not loving at all. 
to comfort them in their lie whenever we know it leads to death and destruction is not loving at all. Listen to John 17, 17. If y'all will, flip just like a page or two to John 17, 17. This is a great one to underline in your Bible. You don't have to underline if you don't want to. You can highlight it on your, your screen, however you want to do it. This is a pretty powerful verse. In John 17, 17, Jesus is in the midst of his high priestly prayer. He's praying for um, the disciples that are with him. And then he even is actually praying for us. He says, I don't just pray for those who are with me right now, but for those who are going to believe on their account. We believe because the disciples went out and proclaimed the gospel. So we are mentioned in that prayer. How crazy is that? But in John 17, 17, in the midst of that prayer, Jesus prays and he says, God, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in your truth, God. Your word is truth. Make them holier, God. Purify them. Bring them closer to you and what you want them to be. Sanctify them in the truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. So sanctify them in the truth. And then he follows it very closely with this. Your word is truth. So Christians, would you be more sanctified? Would you be holier? Would you want to look more like God? Then there is one chief way. Be sanctified in the truth. His word is truth. For us, that's actually this, this physical Bible or the, the Bible on our phone. It is the written word of God. And so Christians who believe that they can become more Christ-like and want to grow in their love and be make a bigger impact for God, but they don't want to cling to the word, they don't want to read the word, then you're going to find that you can do a whole lot of work in and of yourselves and you will grow weary and you will be disconnected ultimately. It's like trying to turn on a lamp that's not plugged into the wall. So get in the word, even if it's a small amount. But there's in the prayer, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth is what Jesus says in John 17, 17. So now if we think biblically about this word and we think about who Jesus is, Think about John 1, 1. It begins like this. This is where our journey began a long time ago. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in John 1, 14, it says, the Word took on flesh and dwelt amongst us. Now that is the truth that we cling to. It says in John 1, 1, that in the beginning was the Word. It's a capital W. And the word was with God and the word was God. And as we look at John 1, then we know, we know that we know that this is talking about Jesus because John 1, 14 says that he took on flesh and he dwelt with us. We know that the word is Jesus. And I'm going to challenge you that whenever he says, I am the way and the truth, and he says, sanctify them in the truth, your word is the truth. And he has been in the context of John 17, he's been delivering God's word to them. In other words, God, I'm giving them truth. I'm giving your word let that be enough. Sanctify them. Make them pure. Make them holy in your word. And then we look at John 1, 1, uh, John 1, 1 and John 1, 14, and we look at how Jesus was constantly using his word to shape his followers. And y'all, the same is true of the Bible. God's word will shape his followers. It will shape us and it will tell us who we are and how we are to move. And that is the truth that we need. The problem is we listen so much to the truth of the world and not enough to the truth of Scripture. And so we do become disheartened. We do become wayward. We do become weak. And we do become worrisome. But whenever we read Scripture, we realize that we've been caught up, caught up into something much bigger than our lives. 
my life is only going to last so much longer. And I don't know how long that is. And your life is going to last so much longer. And my brother's lives are only going to last so much longer. And if I live for the next 30 to 35 to 40 years worrying about my life and my, my, uh, my agenda and what I want out of life, then all of that dies whenever I die. Followers of Christ have been called to follow him and not ourselves. And the, the truth that he tells us is that when we follow him, he will meet every need that we have. He is a loving father and he is a caring, compassionate shepherd. And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I know every need you have. And he says, I am coming back and I'm going to bring you home to me. And so whenever I'm reading that and I'm thinking on it, I begin to realize that there's a much bigger life that's out there than what I've been living. And it would be a shame to live the next 30 to 40 lives for myself and then to die and, and then that's all I've lived for. But you and I have been called to live for something much bigger than ourselves. And the way we begin to learn to do that is we take ourselves to the Word. And we go to the Word. And as we read Genesis throughout, y'all listen to this, we realize that Jesus really is the truth in every single way. He's the true Adam. There's the old Adam and now there's the true Adam. He is the true offspring who would come through Abraham. He's the true Noah by which many would be saved. He's the true Moses that would lead others out of sin and rebellion. He's the true prophet that everybody can listen to. He's the true sacrifice of the sacrificial system. He's the true substance of all the festivals. They all pointed to him. He's the true king who would come. He's greater than David and all other kings. He's the true servant, the suffering servant that's in, uh, in Isaiah. He's the true savior that we cling to. He's the true Passover lamb. He is the true redeemer that we need. He is the true shepherd who walks with us. Throughout all of scripture, we see shadows and glimpses of Jesus being the one who came to fulfill all things. And as he speaks and as he teaches, everything that he says and proclaims will challenge us to look at his character and his life and say, that is God. That is Jesus. He is the truth. And I would rather follow the truth along with a few people along a narrow way that goes up and down to enter through that gate than to follow an easy life full of lies. And so we bring that back and we put it in context with Thomas who's worried and he says, how? How are we going to come to you? And Jesus said, don't worry, I am the way. You're on the right path, Thomas. Just trust me, follow me. You're on the way. And then he, we put the truth in there and he says, don't worry, Thomas. Everything I've told you is true. It's all true. I am the way. You will come to me and you will not be lost. Or y'all just a little bit further. Jesus makes another claim that I've already alluded to that I'll reference again in this point. He says, I am the life. And this statement only makes sense in light of eternity is what I want you to think about. It only makes sense in light of eternity because if we are fixing our eyes on this world alone, look at this world right now. I mean, this world in and of itself is crumbling from lack of hope it's crumbling and people are wondering, what are we going to do tomorrow? What does this look like tomorrow, next week, a year from now? How long do we have to endure this? What does this mean? What this crisis has really shown us is how fragile our world really is. So if Jesus is saying, I am the life, and we're looking to this world alone, 
then it's not really going to make any sense. It's going to have a very limited reach and impact on your life. It has to be an eternal scope. He's saying, I have eternal life. He's saying that I'm much bigger than everything that's going on in your living room right now or in your bedroom right now. I'm much bigger than what's going on in Arkansas in this nation in this world. I have an eternal life that I will give to you. I am that life. So Thomas, I'm, everything I'm telling you is true. Take hope. You're coming along the right way. Take hope. Take hope because when you get to me, when this is all said and done, you will never die. You will be with me forever and we will never part. So it's in the midst of that crisis of his own death that Jesus is comforting them. But he's not talking about life right now. This is no prosperity right now. This is that we have to walk away that will lead us to Jesus. In John 1, 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then John develops it all the way up to, to this point where we are. In John 3, 15, he says, Whoever believes in him, the Son of Man, may have eternal life. And then we all know John 3, 16, but I want to read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whom we know is Jesus, that whoever would believe in him should not perish. He shall not perish because he cannot perish. Right? It's impossible for him to perish whenever we are in Christ. But he will have eternal life. That means life that is unending, that is not bound by the breaths and the heartbeats of this world. That when I breathe my final breath, whenever my heartbeat stops, for whatever reason that God has chosen, I am not dead. I just wake up from this and I wake up into His glory. And I stand in the presence of the one who is a radiance of the glory of God, who receives praise from all time and who alone is He at the right hand of God. That's where we're going. That's life. Y'all, belief in the one Son is the only true way to have eternal life. And it's all throughout John. And so whenever he's saying, I am the way and the truth and the life, he is reminding us, he says, come this way with me and through me. And he's saying, come along this path of truth that I reveal. And he's saying, come this way and see that your life will not end. So an interesting thing for believers is what I've already alluded to, but I want you to just be thinking about this. There should be hope and joy at this moment filling our lives whenever we remember that Jesus is absolutely everything that we've been clinging to. That's the reminder that we need. We don't just need the gospel for whenever we get saved and we don't need the gospel on a stormy day. You and I every day need to remember that Jesus is absolutely everything that he has told us he is. And if he is, then believers, here we go, then every demand on your life that he has made is absolutely worth it. Everything that he has asked, if he is leading us to eternal life and that's where my scope is, then it's going to change how I live today. If you truly want to have, and I'm not meaning it in a sarcastic way, but if you truly want to have your best life right now and you want your most successful marriage right now and you want to be the best friend right now and you want to be the best worker right now, then quit looking at the world around you. Fix your eyes on Jesus who is seated on the throne at the right hand of God and he's the one who said, come through me, I am bringing you home. I've prepared a place, you will make it. Like he's the one who has called us to lift our eyes from the muck of this world and to quit worrying about everything around us because he holds all things together. But if we would be so enraptured, so captivated by who he is, 
then we would navigate a lot of life situations probably totally differently. Or maybe we would navigate them the same, but we would have so much more joy and hope and peace because we know that the one who's called us to live that way is the one who is with us while we live that way. So whenever he says that he has given us eternal life, it means, y'all, that our existence never ends. And it's going to have this effect in me, and I think it's supposed to have this effect in you believers, and it had this effect in the disciples, that whenever we truly grasp that we have eternal life in Christ, then our view, the end goal, is no longer our death here, but we realize that there is no end. We're in his presence forevermore. And so I want to begin to live a radically different life here because I know that I can endure whatever he puts before me, that my hope will not be put to shame, that all of his promises are true, that we will be able to say with the psalmist, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I know that I can push through all of those things because he is waiting for me at the end. You know the reason I don't want to run a 5K? Because I know whenever I begin to run the 5K, I'm just going to end where I started. I don't see the point in that. Okay, but that's just how, in my mind, that's how I think. Or if I'm going to run a race, then I can endure that race for a while because I know that that's the end goal. But if I saw the value, and I see the value, don't get me wrong, of running a 5K, I get to say I ran a 5K and I'm healthier for it. Okay, that's fine. But if I know that the end goal is riches forevermore and the eternal presence of my God, then I'm going to run harder and more focused than I've ever run. Because 30 years is just a glimpse. It's just, it's, it's a mist of a mist. It's a particle of the mist that we know is our life. But we're going to be with him forever. And so I want to live a radically different life here because I know the value of doing it in eternity. I'm going to start winding this up, y'all. I would say then, if Jesus truly is the truth that you know, and I hope you're encouraged by that. If he is the way that you know, and I hope you're encouraged by that. And if he is the eternal life, then why, why do we live such timid lives for Christ? And I think that's the application. What did the disciples do? They took this truth, and, and they weren't perfect, but they took this truth that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and it did radically change how they were and who they were. And it's because they stepped out and they followed God's call, and they began to proclaim the gospel. You and I sit right here today. They were willing to live radically different lives that led to their own death. But their death was worth it to them. Stephen welcomed his own death because he could look up and he could see the glory of God, and he could see Jesus, and he knew he would be in his presence. I mean, what if we would just live lives that believed so much and took so much comfort in who Jesus says that he is, that we would live radically different lives. So I'm, I'm asking y'all to, to be with me in this. We have to lift our eyes beyond all of this. And we have to see that there's a grander, more sure, vastly richer life beyond this world. And the only way to it is through Jesus. He says one more thing at the very end. And it's what we're going to start diving into next week. He tells him, he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father. From now on, you do not know him, or I'm sorry, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And then the discourse that follows that is, is really expanding on that. And the reason that Jesus could say 
that to see him is to see the Father, to know him is to know the Father, is because he and the Father are one. And there's a huge mystery there that we cannot untangle this side of eternity. So what we want to do at Cross Life is we look at those mysteries and we embrace the mystery that this is who God is. And this is something completely other than us and we get to worship him. So next week, we're going to look at uh, John 14, 7 through 11. But for today, y'all take heart. Whatever it is that comes before you, take heart and do not despair because he whom you follow is the way. He whom you listen to, he is the truth. And he whom you follow, he is the life. That's the message of John 14. Whenever he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying to those who follow him, you're on the right path, stay the course. You will be with me forevermore. Y'all, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you let your word shape us and that we don't shape the word that we really take in the hope that you give us, Lord. It is an exclusive claim that you make, that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life. Now what we need, Lord, is for that seed that is, that is in your word, Lord, for it to grow. And Lord, that as it grows, we begin to cast that seed out as well. We know that your word does not return void. So if we sit at your word in the morning and we struggle with what it means, Lord, we are still taking in your word. We trust that your word does not return void. It will take root. And we know that we will grow in you because you have given your believers your Holy Spirit that lives within us. We are never apart from you. Lord God, I thank you for cross life. And I pray that you fix my eyes beyond this world. And Lord, that the way that I live and the way that cross life lives and those who are listening, that our lives make little sense in the scope of this world, but make absolute sense in light of eternity. In other words, Lord, help us to live a life that is radically different in this world for your sake, so that we can be light in a dark world and so that we can point men and women and children to you because you are the only way and we need to tell them. You are the only truth and we need to tell them and you are the only life and you have told us we need to tell them. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for this moment. Lord, I thank you for the mothers who are with us and who could not join us and who are scattered around this world. Lord, thank you for them and for the ministry they do their kids. Lord, but especially thank you for the cross-life mothers that we see uh, in our congregation. Lord God, we love you. Amen.